Good morning, friends. We're back in the midweeks. Hopefully you're having a great day. We're in chapter 15 of Kinks. And this is an interesting chapter. There's a bit of a riddle in here that I've done some thinking about. Don't totally understand yet, but that's okay. You know, the Bible is a big book and it's old and we don't understand everything that's going on there the same way. Some stuff is clearer, some stuff is less clear, and that's totally fine. And we can pray and trust the Lord and look to him for understanding. And we may not always get as much as we want, and that's totally cool. But we're in Kings, and we are going to move into the next generation after the division of the kingdom into two uh, kingdoms. So we had Solomon, the last king of the divided or united kingdom, and then we had the kingdom uh, split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and now we're moving into their descendants. Uh, and we're going to have a few kings in this chapter, and Asa is going to be the one good king. First one. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. Now, you remember Judah is the uh, smaller landmass kingdom, but it's the one where the descendants of David reign. And so uh, Judah and Jerusalem have this added promise that God's going to be with them and the author is going to explain this coming up. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Ahazah his son reigned in his place. <laughs> Excuse me. So this is a very interesting summary. You don't really learn much about Abijam in detail. He has a very short reign, um, and, but it's not explained why it's so short. And all we know about him is that his mother is Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom, which some people think is Absalom, from uh, so one of the sons of David. And so this would be a very political marriage that um, the grandson of David would uh, marry the daughter, uh, like the granddaughter of, uh, what is it, the grandson, the great-grandson? It would be the great-grandson of David would marry the daughter of, uh, the granddaughter of David. So a little bit too in the family for me, but whatever. Um, but as we'll often see, the mothers are listed as a sense of whether or not the king is going to be good or not and in this case it looks like it's a poor influence and we have this summary of Abijam that he lived like Rehoboam and Rehoboam introduced all kinds of false worship into Judah and whenever a new king comes into Judah you wonder is this king going to be one of the kings that purifies the worship of Yahweh the worship of God in Judah because Judah goes back and forth between bad kings and good kings. Uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, does not have any good kings. 
there are some that are less bad and some that are more bad, but it doesn't really have any good kings. But Abijam is going to be like his father before him, which may partially explain why he has such a short reign. Sometimes good kings do have really long reigns. And this is a very short reign, so that might be a hint that God kind of intervened to shorten this thing. But we're given this long discussion of the theology of Judah, which is that even when Judah has a bad king, God remembers his covenant that he made with David that one of his sons would reign on the throne uh, forever. And so the phrase here is it gave, gave him a lamp. And so God is concerned about having a physical descendant of David on the throne and he endures these bad kings for the sake of his own promise in part because of David's faithfulness but David is the measure here David is the measure of all the kings of Israel and Judah and David is especially the measure for the kings of uh Excuse me here, my screen just went blank, and so I've got to revivify it. Especially the kings of Judah, David is the measure. And we one of the things I appreciate in verse 5 here, it says, you know, David was fully committed to the Lord, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So it remembers this great sin that David did that really cost him personally. Um, but it truthfully says that that was the exception to the rule. Now, the rule was David was a man of faith, loyal to the Lord. But he was not a perfect man. He still had sin dwelling inside of him. And so um, we look forward, if we were in this time, we look forward to the son of David that would be sinless, a sinless leader. And that is ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true son of David and about whom there is no except in this matter or except in that matter. Jesus uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that God commanded him all of his days. And then their end of period, end of sentence. There was no except in the matter of this or that when it came to the Lord Jesus. All right, but Abijam uh, dies. Now there's some interesting lines in here. It says there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life, uh, referring to Abijam. So there might have been a bit of a co-regency going on here where Rehoboam, when he gets old and isn't quite uh, able to fulfill his duties, especially as a warrior, he may have made... Abijam king at the same time kind of like how David was king but he made Solomon king while he still lived and there was a short period of time where they were both king over Israel so that may be why it says there was war between Rehoboam uh, and Jeroboam all the days of Abijam's life um, it's possible that's a possible reading there of that and then Asa reigns in his place and this is in the 20th year of Jeroboam of Israel Asa began to reign over Judah, this is verse 9, and he reigned for 41 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Abishalom. Um, and Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David, his father, had done. Now this is where some of the confusion is here. You wonder why it says that Maka, the daughter of Absalom, was the mother of Asa as well as Abijam. And to add to some of the mystery for me is that if you go into the book of Chronicles, which retells this, it actually lists Asaph as having a different mother. And so it could be his mother. They call him the mother, but she's actually the grandmother. Some people think that Asa was actually the brother of Abijam. Um, but there is a bit of a conundrum to unwind here. And for me, what I think is going on is that there was probably some kind of royal adoption that happened in here. 
uh, because you see in a second that Ma Kao was quite an influential political figure as the Queen Mother, and so when Abijam died, it doesn't it doesn't seem impossible to me that when Abijam died, there was some kind of like adoption through the Queen Mother of Abijam's son, so that it became his mother as well, so that she could retain her place <coughs> in Judah. So she wouldn't be deposed and have Asa's mother become the new queen mother and her become like um, whatever they, they just like have a place of less influence. So I'm wondering if that's what happened politically. So Maaka maintained her place of influence in Israel by adopting Asa when he came to reign. But then Asa don't, don't play that. He don't play her game and he's going to do something about it. So that's how I kind of solve that riddle. Um, it is a riddle, and I don't know if there's a definitive answer to it, but that's what I think is going on. I could be totally wrong, so just hold that lightly. It's a hypothesis, but that's what I think might have happened here. Um, so Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In verse 12, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers made. So yea, he's purifying the worship of, is, of Judah towards the Lord. He's removing cult prostitutes the male cult ones like i said before were particularly heinous to the lord he doesn't like female cult prostitutes at all either you know his worship was one of the, he's one of the few gods that did not include sexual sin uh, as part of his worship he wants sexual purity sexual holiness sexual faithfulness to be uh, a bedrock of his worship uh, but particularly having the, the homosexual cult prostitutes in there was particularly grievous to the Lord and he removed these idols that his father had made verse 13 he also removed Ma'aka his mother from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah and Asa cut down her image and burned it in the brook Kidron so this is his kind of zeal for the worship of God in the imitation of David that he actually removed his own mother from her place of uh of influence because she was an idolater now you don't know all the details maybe gave her a chance to repent and she clung to it but this was his willingness to purify the worship is that he even removed the queen mother here and so that's part of why i think that uh, there might have been some kind of legal adoption because maka obviously was a political figure of influence and she had to be removed in order for the true worship of god to be happening in the political sphere as well as just like the personal heart sphere verse 14 but the high places were not taken away nevertheless the heart of asa was holy to the lord all to his day so there was this um you know these these high places where people would worship kind of in their own backyards the lord these were seen as kind of an ongoing area of infidelity they should have been coming to the temple however asa gets an a Maybe not an A+, plus, but he definitely gets an A because his heart was wholly true to the Lord, which is no faint praise. And very rare for generations and generations of kingly leaders. So this is, this is a good King Asa. Verse 15, And he brought into the house of the Lord the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. 
So he's breaking away from idolatry, he's breaking away from sexual immorality, and he's breaking away from uh, personal aggrandizement through wealth. And he's getting rid of the cult prostitutes, he's destroying the uh, idols, including deposing his own mother in the process of it. And when he has personal wealth, he does give it to the Lord and make it sacred. So these are all good things. Verse 16, and there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah, who was going to blockade the nation, essentially. And then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and gave them into the hands of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tibramon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria who lived in Damascus saying let there be a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father behold I am sending to you a present of silver and gold go and break your covenant with Basha the king of Israel that he may withdraw from me so this is not a good moment like uh, Basha was a real political and military threat against Asa and in this moment of you know fear of being hemmed in all around by Basha uh, Asa takes some of these treasures that he's dedicated to the Lord, which is always bad when the treasures of the Lord are being used for bribing foreign pagan kings. And he takes them to make a treaty with a foreign king. And so he's essentially trying to do to Basha what Basha was doing to him, where he wants to make his border a threat. And so he says, come make a covenant with me. Now, the problem is that typically in the history of Israel, whenever the kings of Judah make a covenant with a foreign power, eventually that foreign power comes and attacks Judah. So they're only friends for a little while. Verse 20, And Ben-Hadad listened to, the ki to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel and conquered Egypt, Dan, Abel, and Beth Maccah, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Natali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramat, and he lived in Tirzah. And then King Asa made a proclamation to all Judah, and none was exempt, that they carry away the stones of Ramah and its timber, which, with which Basha had been building, and with them King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So there was a turnaround here. The tools that were going to be used against them are now used for them through this, but it's not a great sign with that foreign power invading. Essentially what he did was uh, Asa paid a foreign power to come and invade the promised land, if you think about it. When Naphtali's been conquered by the king of Syria, it politically helped Judah, and maybe there was a bit of a judgment to the Lord in that, but what he did was he empowered unbe an unbelieving king to come and invade the promised land that God had given to Israel. And so it's very mixed. It's not great. Uh, but God did warn the Israelites that their promised land was not a permanent possession that they would have uh, no matter what. It was dependent on their faith and loyalty to the Lord. So Basha is being unbelieving and disloyal to the Lord. And so some of the promised land is being carved away from Israel because of this. Now the rest of the acts of Asa, all his might and all that he did, and the cities that he built, they're not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah. But in his old age, he was diseased in his feet, and Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Again, this there, you, you're trying to be a sensitive reader when it talks about 
Asa being diseased in his feet in his old age, there may be a bit of a sign there that, you know, Asa was more loyal to the Lord in the beginning days than in the end days. And the fact that he had diseased feet, the reason it's presented is just like, obviously some of his kingly strength couldn't be enacted if he couldn't walk. So his walk wasn't as good when he's older. That may be like the symbolic message of, of recounting that. They didn't have to be put in there. So there's often a symbolic reason when these details are given. Um, you know, you know, you want to be not dogmatic in these readings, but it looks like it's just this sign that Asa did have a good heart, but as he aged, he got a little bit more political than theological, maybe a little bit more crafty than faith felt, and his his walk in his older years wasn't as good as when he was younger. All right, now we're going to switch to the other kingdom. Verse 25, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, the king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. So the sin of Jeroboam was that he'd made these two golden calves and a false priesthood, and he led Israel to worship these idols, right? And we know from previous chapters that this has been condemned. Verse 27, And Basha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha struck him down at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, for Nadab and all Israel were laying siege at Gibbethon. So Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, the king of Judah, and reigned in his place. As soon as he was king, he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He left to the house of Jeroboam not one that breathed until he had destroyed it according to the word of the Lord they had spoken by the servant of Ahijah the Shilonite. It was for the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned that he made Israel to sin and because of the anger to which he provoked the Lord the God of Israel. Alright, so from the last chapter, remember there was the one sick son who was given a funeral because God found something pleasurable in him, but the prophecy was that everyone else who belonged to Jeroboam was going to be killed in the streets. And Basha is the unbelieving fulfillment of this. So he's not a good guy. He doesn't believe in the Lord. He just saw an opportunity to depose the previous regime and start his own regime. And so in a moment of weakness, he kills the son. Usually when they're like, just like where, uh, when Solomon came into power, there was this like instability um, and that, uh, attempts to be the ones that would fill that political gap and Solomon was eventually established but there was political haranguing as David came to the end of his reign and so similarly here Jeroboam has a long reign and so when he dies there's political instability and even though there is uh, a legal heir comes to power somebody else sees an opportunity to take over and kill that legal heir um, and so there, this is a regime change. And what you'll see, one of the big differences between Israel and Judah is that Judah does have, except for a very short time, it does have a continual lineage from David, whereas in the northern kingdom there's repeated regime changes where the line of kings is broken and a new line comes in and tries to establish its own kingdom. Now, one of the things about Basha is he is not established prophetically. Nobody comes to him and says, God is going to establish your kingdom here. And so he's very much a usurper. And he, what he does is he just does this thing that when people come to power, they just go and kill everybody who might be a threat to them. And that's what's going on here. So we shouldn't see him as a faithful servant believing the Lord, even though he fulfills prophecy. He does it through his own wickedness and not through faith. 
Verse 31. Now the rest of the acts of Nabed and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha of Israel all their days. Okay. Verse 33. In the third year of Asa, the king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, began to reign over all Israel at Tirzah. And he reigned 24 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he made Israel to sin. So when Basha comes over from Jeroboam, there isn't even a like a change of worship. Like when Asa came to power, there was a renewal of worship to the Lord, a purification of worship. But with Basha, it's kind of out with the old, in with the old. I think recently I heard there's this saying that, you know, hope for regime change is the joy of fools. When people see a new ruler come in and they're excited about it, they're idiots. That's kind of what the proverb meant. And in the northern kingdom, it's like that too. Anytime you think, oh, a new king, maybe things will get better in Israel, that kind of hope is, is fool's gold. It's a foolish hope. It never really pans out all the way in the end. But Basha is, does the deed of removing Jeroboam's offspring that was prophesied, but he doesn't actually change anything. He walks in all the sins of Jeroboam, which means, hey, he's going to have the same outcome of Jeroboam, more or less. All right, so we're in the book of Kings. We're in the throes, up and the down. The main thing we're meant to see is God's faithfulness to David by upholding a lineage, as well as the goodness of the kings of Judah when they seek to worship God like David from all his heart and according to the law of Moses without any idolatry and focusing on true worship. And you know what? That comes back to us as well. Our life is going to be written in the book. And what God is looking for is, is hearts that are truly devoted to him, that really love him, aren't just playing, acting, aren't just being spiritually political, but are truly devoted in our hearts and that we seek to obey God according to his word. We have a different word than a king of Judah would have had with our New Testament writings, but that same thing persists. Do we really love God from the heart? And do we want to obey him according to his word and please him with faithfulness according to his word? In that way, we all have the same life of even a king of Judah or Israel and the same measure. Do you love him? Do you want to obey him according to his word? If the answer is yes, we can be as great as any king by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of Jesus Christ. And amen.